If you've been in the marketing world for more than a few days, you've probably heard the idea that you need a funnel. After all, a single funnel that reliably brings the right clients to your business is the difference between feast and famine and working with clients that you love versus working with those who tax your patience and drive you crazy. Our guest for this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast is Jen Spivak, the founder of the Ad Girls Agency. Jen's take on creating a great funnel that attracts ideal clients is different from the approach of almost every other expert that we know. And in the second half of this interview, she broke it all down so that you can borrow her approach for your business. But before we share that, Jen also talked about building her agency, how she hires, the various roles on her team, and a lot more. We covered a lot of ground in this interview, so stick around because this one has dozens of insights that are going to help you in your own business. Before we jump into our interview with Jen, this podcast is sponsored by the P7 Client Attraction Pipeline. If you haven't heard about it and you have no idea what's going on with P7, there's still one day to jump inside before we officially start this intensive on Thursday. And if you're like, I don't know what this is, what's P7, what does this mean? We'll give you an idea of what it's all about. So after talking to hundreds of copywriters over the last five years, uh, Rob and I recognized one of the biggest problems for copywriters is finding clients consistently with a dependable flow of clients. And so Rob, you and I created this pipeline to help solve this big problem for copywriters. The problem is booking clients consistently, prospecting, creating the space to even do that. And what we noticed is that even though copywriters like us know that it's important to prospect and to send cold emails, so you constantly have a flow of leads that you can turn into clients, even though like we all are smart, we know this, there's still a gap there because it's not happening. It's not happening for the majority of copywriters we speak to. And so you and I sat down and tried to figure out why is this not happening for copywriters? What's getting in the way? And what we discovered is that as copywriters, we're not building this into our daily routine. We're thinking that we're going to book time to batch cold emails and then it doesn't happen because we prioritize our client work over our own business. And also like we're all pretty overwhelmed dealing with business responsibilities, personal responsibilities, families. And so if we don't prioritize it and have a system with every single step along the way broken down so we can just jump into it easily, it's not going to happen. So we've put this together in this 30-day intensive so that you can have a system you can depend on to book clients consistently, to even have fun doing it so it feels like it's part of your routine and it's not something that you have to necessarily batch or wake up early to do. It could just be part of your day. It includes everything that you need to find your ideal clients, and not just your ideal clients, your dream clients, the clients that you really want to work with. Identify the problem that you can solve for them, create a pitch and a, a product or service that they can say yes to very easily. It includes templates, more than 20 different templates that you can use to uh, reach out to clients, whether it's to pitch or to create a relationship on LinkedIn, via email, on Instagram, direct messaging on Facebook, however it is 
lots and lots of templates. And then we talk through the difference between an MVP pitch and a GOAT pitch and when you want to use each one. And what we heard back from copywriters who went through this workshop series a couple of months ago is that they finally realized how to make pitching doable, how to fit it into their schedule, but also how much time they needed to spend on a particular pitch and when they should put in a ton of effort versus just a little bit of effort. And both of them work to connect with clients. If you're looking for better clients, if you're struggling with feast and famine cycles, if pitching has always been a struggle, but you need clients and want to connect with people who can give you good work, the P7 Client Attraction Pipeline Workshops will help you solve that problem. So definitely check out the link at bit.ly forward slash TCC. That's capital T, capital C, capital C, pitch. And you'll find some details there that can tell you more. Yeah. And one last thing that I will say is that we're currently offering it for the last time at the lowest price. It's actually at the beta price, even though this technically isn't beta because we already launched it. We already ran it with the first cohort. We've proved that it worked, but we're still offering it at the beta price. And so you can jump in for the final time at that price before before it jumps up next time we launch it um, as we continue to improve the program. Okay, let's get into the interview with Jen. It's maybe a bit of an unexpected story, but I actually ended up starting my business towards the end of 2014 uh, because of something that I realized I was really passionate about, which was putting more money into the hands of more women. And so this actually comes from being in a, a physically abusive relationship in my early 20s. And I was really, really fortunate, all things considering, to be able to get out and kind of move on with my life in the way that I was able to. And in getting involved with domestic violence advocacy work after that relationship, I learned that my experience was really uncommon and that the reason it was so easy for me was because I had access to money. I just happened to have $1,500 saved in an account that my abuser didn't know about. And that was literally potentially life or death. And so I learned that financial abuse is actually present in 99% of domestic violence relationships. And I had gone to school for marketing and I was really good at it. And I felt really, really, again, passionate about we've got to put more money in the hands of more women because at minimum, it means never needing to be beholden to anybody, but on a macro level, it can sometimes be a matter of life or death. And so I kind of, you know, brought those two um, things together, the marketing and that mission. And I built the Ad Girls Agency, which yes, is an advertising agency, but we use Facebook and Instagram ads as a tool to grow people's businesses. Really, our, our purpose is financially empowering as many women business owners as possible. So we're going to link to the show in our show notes, one of the articles that you shared about that, um, that experience that you had, but can we stop for just a second? And as you mentioned, not everybody has access to these kinds of resources who may be in an abusive relationship. And while it's primarily women, there are some men, not as many clearly, but are there resources, Jen, that you could maybe share with us or share with our audience if they're not in a situation to get away, you're in a, an abusive situation, what can people do that first step to get help? Um, clearly an important topic and uh, one we don't want to just you know gloss over and say, oh, this happened and everybody's going to be fine. 
Yeah, I love that, Robin. Thank you for that. Um, so, I mean, I think one of the most important things is um, the time which a person, usually a woman, is thinking about leaving a relationship like that is actually the most dangerous. So my number one recommendation is to not ever try to do that on your own. There are national organizations, there are local organizations. One of the national organizations that I just happen to know of is called Safe Horizons. There's also a specific organization in New York where I live that I worked with called Met Council. And then um, there's a really, really fantastic organization. And my agency actually has a partnership with them because they specifically deal with this financial abuse element. They're called free from, so free from.org. And um, I mean, there's just, there's so many people out there doing amazing work. I think like the number one piece of advice is, is don't do it alone. Really make sure that you are working with somebody who understands the intricacies of this type of situation, create a safety plan and do it slowly. That's the best way for you to stay safe. And maybe this is similar advice, but if we are a friend, if we're aware of someone in our, our life who we think maybe something's happening, but they're not sharing it with us, um, what, what do you advise us to do if we're a friend or a family member or acquaintance? It's a tricky one. I mean, I know your example is if they're not sharing, but I think like the number one thing is to believe them and to just support them as much as possible trying to push somebody in that situation, they're getting pushed around at home. So actually, even though your intention is help and support, that can feel really overwhelming and unsafe. So support, love, believe them um, is, is really all that, that you can do in that situation. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for, for sharing that. I definitely don't want to gloss over that, that kind of experience. I know there are people out there having that. So sure, um, sure, hopefully that helps. Okay. So, so as you were then, you know, sort of getting out of this abusive relationship, what sorts of things did you do in order to get started in your business? It's, it's easy, Jennifer, to say, uh, well, I started a business, right. But um, <laughs> sure. like, how did you find those first clients? Yeah. What, were, what were the services that you were offering? How did you connect with them? How did you make it all happen? Yeah. So for the first couple of years, everything was really organic and word of mouth. And, you know, obviously I'm on an advertising agency, but I do feel really strongly that at least up to your first 100K, there's a lot of good reason to really just focus on like kind of being like doing it with grit and like, you know, door knocking or whatever the online version of that would be. So it was really just showing up in different places, using my network. I was 100% focused on providing Facebook advertising as a service for female online businesses. Um, and again, I mean, it was just very organic word of mouth referrals, talking to people. And so that was how I grew for the first couple of years. And once I got to, I want to say maybe I was three years in, probably doing somewhere around like three, 400K a year, give or take. I was still technically um, more of a freelancer than an agency. Sure, I had like a project manager and I had a, an admin person, but it was really still me doing all of the things. And I hit a point where I could not possibly take on any more clients on my own. I was making good money, but never sleeping, never vacationing, never anything. It was crazy. And um, that was really when I said, okay, I see what it looks like for business because we do it for our clients when they're able to use Facebook and Instagram ads as a system to really be in control of their own growth. I see what that looks like. I see how businesses benefit from that. 
Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, to step into that so that I can predictably build a team and, and figure out all of that stuff. But I wasn't finding anything out there that seemed to translate to my type of business. You know, I started thinking about, well, the way that we do ads is you provide some sort of value, you have a lead magnet, you have a webinar, free workshop, whatever it is. And then from there, there's a call to action, right? That's like the right way. That's the way that we do things. But as I would sit down and sort of start to brainstorm on the lead magnet that I wanted to use, thinking about, okay, my perfect ideal client, what sort of lead magnet do they want to consume? The answer was sort of they don't want to actually, because they're a done for you buyer. And that was when I sort of had like this kind of like epiphany, right? That done for you buyers behave really differently from people who are, um, you know, ultimately going to be purchasing a course or a group coaching program or some sort of coaching. The done for you buyer just wants the right person to come in and kind of show up and do the thing for them. And so I, on a whim said, okay, this is breaking all the rules, but let's see what happens. What if I just drove ads directly to a page to book a call with me? You're not supposed to be able to do that. There's a million reasons why that doesn't make sense and doesn't work, but I tried it. And in all honesty, I forgot about it and came back like a month later and it worked. Okay. So I want to hear more about just to take a step back, um, your vision as a business owner when you decided to go from solo show, like you said, you're a freelancer, you're kind of tapping out around 300 K to thinking bigger about the agency and then starting to kind of um, experiment with different strategies for gaining clients. How did you know that agency was the right route? Because, and I'm asking because a lot of copywriters deal with this too, and they don't know when they should shift to an agency model and what they need to do to start thinking differently. So I'd love to capture that moment for you. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think the honest truth is I didn't know that it was the right model. I just knew that I was working constantly and there was no space. Like I would go on vacation, but like work the whole time that I was there, there was just no space for me to actually have a life. And it seemed like the options were either I take on fewer clients and I make less money, but I didn't want to sacrifice my lifestyle, or I somehow find a way to keep the amount of money that I'm making, but work less. And so again, it just, it just seemed like the natural next step. Um, I did it almost in phases, not like intentionally, but looking back, there were sort of phases to it, right? Where again, it was just, you know, I'm going to hire one person to do media buying, but I'm still client facing. And then it was, okay, now I'm really having, you know, clients really know their media buyers. I'm building out like more of a true team. Then there was a phase of, okay, we're like a real company now, not just like a group of women trying to make this work. We need a COO. So, so there were many levels and phases to it, but um, I think like the, the short long answer is I, I, I didn't know. I just, um, I knew that the place that I was in was really like sticky and just didn't have a lot of space. And it wasn't the lifestyle I wanted for myself. So while we're talking about team, I'm curious who's on your, not necessarily people, but roles that you have on your team today, what does that look like? And what are the different things that they're handling for you? Yes. So I'm 
honestly, 99% out of service delivery at this point, I don't really do anything. I kind of just oversee as a bit of a visionary. So one thing that was really amazing for the growth of my business is at the beginning of 2021, I brought on a minority business partner. She had also previously owned her own agency and we did things really similarly. So it was like a super easy merge. Um, And she is the COO. So she is really the person who oversees operations and service delivery. My role at this point and as COO is, again, visionary of the overall business. I do also all marketing and sales because that's what I'm good at. That's what I really love. And again, I get to run, you know, this, this ad system and then handle all the sales. Um, like I know we're going to be talking a little bit about today, but then underneath um, in terms of the delivery part of the business, we have two senior strategists And then underneath each senior strategist is a set of account managers. We're always growing. So I don't always know the exact number, but I believe we are a team of 15 or 16 at this point. So again, senior strategists underneath them are the account managers. And those are the people who are actually the media buyers. They're very client facing. We also then have a set of copywriters and we actually work with an outside creative team called No Limits Creative. A lot of ad agencies work with them. They're they're really great for just pumping out um, their various um, images and videos that we might need to use for the ads. And then separate from sort of the service delivery part, we also have a head of personnel who handles all hiring. And then we have um, an ops manager. Okay. So this is like legit agency. This oh is no, it's legit. legit. <laughs> you are not messing around here. No, no, um, it's, it's legit. And to go back in time, you said you started it in 2014. Is that right? The end of 2014 was when I like officially like took on a client on my own for the first time. So, you know, we're getting close to eight years, which is honestly just crazy, but yeah. But it's also really amazing how it shows how much you can accomplish and build in a short period of time under a decade and building out this 15 to 16 person agency is really impressive. And also just, again, it's a reminder, like what you can do during that time. I mean, to be honest with you now, looking back, I see how I could have done it in half the time, maybe even less, right? Like all of the, the mindset of how slow the pace it's supposed to be, if you will. Um, I see how much of that just like, wasn't true. And I think, you know, if I were to build another agency and start from scratch tomorrow, I could probably do the same thing that I did in eight years into maybe less. Okay. So I was going to ask a bunch of other questions, but now I need to ask about that. Can you please share? And because there's so much overlap with what we do as copywriters, what you would do differently if you did it over again so that you can grow in two years versus eight years. I think the thing that I'm most present to today in terms of what it takes to grow an agency is the closest synergy possible between hiring and sales. That is always, we're always chasing one or the other, right? We have too many sales and we can't bring on team fast enough. We don't have a system for that, or they're not getting trained fast enough, or they're not the right people or the opposite. We've overhired and then sales slows down. And so making them sync up is, I mean, to me, that, that, that is the, the whole thing. And so um, we have, we spent the last two years, it was hard, man, figuring out hiring one of the hardest things I've ever probably done in my entire life. But um, we have really figured out a system and a process that seems to work. I think bringing on an in-house HR person was one of the best decisions that we ever made. We had worked with an outside agency and they were good, 
but they also worked with other marketing agencies. And so when they got a good candidate, they were deciding where it made sense and we weren't getting all of the options. And so an in-house HR person was like completely business changing. And then the marketing funnel that I now use, which pretty much guarantees once it's set up and running, it really can, you know, get get off to the races within, I'd say 30 to 45 days. And that can just start bringing in sales calls. I think that, um, you know, with those, with those two things, I could, I could grow much faster. All right. I definitely want to know more about the system for hiring and getting the right people on your team. And so you're, you're called the ad girls. You do have a couple of men on your team. I believe. We do. So, we do. We do. so false advertising, <laughs> just, just kidding. But how do you know when somebody is a fit for your team? What is that system, that process that you put somebody through so that, yeah, maybe they don't fit the title ad girls, but we know they're going to serve our clients the right way, or they're bringing the right skill set to the table. Yeah. And just on that note, you know, we always say we're female focused and most of our clients are women. All of our copywriters are women, which is really important to our clients who are usually marketing to women. But we love men and think that they're absolutely wonderful. And as long as they are part of that mission of putting more money in the hands of our women and they can get results for our clients, we welcome them. Um, I will say that um, my business partner is way more involved in the hiring process than I am. But um, we have our HR person essentially, you know, going all the places you would expect, LinkedIn, Indeed, um, and, you know, really just source as many candidates as possible. Um, from there, the first thing that we do, and this was totally a game changer, is um, we have them, well, first they have like a quick, like 15 minute intro call with the HR person just to make sure that there's like some synergy there. But this next step is we've actually um, come up with a list of questions that we want them to answer on video. And so what that does is it saves quite a bit of time with the interview process. For example, having myself or my business partner interviewing just like anybody who seems to have the right qualifications. Um, I believe that not only do we get to learn a lot about them from the answers to their questions and the way that they answer, but even just like energetically, I can pick up so easily on like who they are as a human being and are they a good fit? That's actually the only part of the hiring process that I'm really involved in. So I watch the video and I just like feel out and I don't even necessarily listen to all of their answers. I feel out in one to two minutes. Yeah, this person's like the right vibe or they're not. And then once they pass sort of like the vibe check and they have all of the right answers, then they move into an official interview with Courtney, who is my business partner. On that um, interview, they actually will do a sort of like surprise live audit of an account so that we can really get a sense for how they think on their toes. Um, and then, you know, from there, if we like them, reference check higher, and then they go into training. And just real quick, how does it all break down full-time versus part-time? Is everybody contracting part-time? Everybody or? is full-time, except for one copywriter who is part-time, but everybody otherwise is full-time. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So um, we are going to talk about that marketing funnel because that's relevant for copyright. We are going to get to that. We're going to keep teasing it. But before that, more questions about all of these different phases you've moved through and, you know, especially the, the merger with your business partner. I would love to hear more about that. You know, that's really interesting. And again, that applies to so many copywriters who could merge with designers to form really incredible agencies or other, you know, Facebook media buyers too. So can you talk about the catalyst for that and then how you actually structured it? Yes. So it was not planned. If you would have asked me two years ago, if I would ever have a business partner, I'd say absolutely not. There's no chance. Um, what happened is, so Courtney and I actually met 
on Facebook, on the internet, because we were both constantly getting tagged in comments when people in the online business world said, who knows somebody who does Facebook ads? So we knew of each other. And in 2020, we decided competition isn't real. Let's start masterminding together and see if we can support each other. And from there, a couple of things sort of, you know, came to fruition. So one, um, we realized that we had these sort of like complete opposite zones of genius. It was really weird. Like you couldn't have like planned it better. I had this agency that was probably four times larger than hers. 2020 was our first seven figure year. And I was really good at marketing and really good at sales and I'll just be honest, like operations were like a little messy. It just like, wasn't, it just like, wasn't my strength, right? Like I don't think in SOPs, I just do. And so, you know, I had this larger agency, we were growing, but internally we definitely needed some, some support and some structure. And Courtney is the opposite. Courtney's dream life was what if I could just never get on a sales call ever again, but she had 50 something percent profit margins as an agency. Like that's unheard of. She is a profit margins machine. She is a beast at SOPs. And so we were like, huh, maybe we should like help each other with these things that we're really good at. And so she first hired me to come in and build out for her my sales and marketing system that we're going to talk about. There's another teaser. Um, and so that helped her, you know, get really good at sales and, and start to be able to bring on more clients. Although again, it just wasn't something that she really enjoyed. And then later that year, I hired her to come in and do some consulting with my team. And it actually was my accountant at the time who was like, your profit margins were like really good this month. What changed? And I was like, well, you know, I had this person consulting and she said, maybe you should buy her out. And I was like, what? That's not a thing. And so I messaged Courtney, like as a joke, I was like, FYI, according to my accountant, I will be buying you out soon. And she goes, (laughs) I might be open to that. And I was like, are you serious? And I mean, it just, we just started talking about it and it made it just made sense. It was not a plan. I wasn't going to look for anybody, but we just kept thinking about, you know, what if there were two owners and I got to focus 100% on bringing in new clients and she got to focus 100% on making sure that we could deliver the service that I was promising to clients. And it, it just happened. Um, and here we are. <laughs> What did, so I'm curious about that partnership discussion. You mentioned that you brought her in as a minority owner um, and your business was four times larger, but she was 50% more profit and she had the better profit margin. Yeah. So how did you negotiate the split of equity? Yeah. Kira and I get asked about partnerships all the time. We, yeah. In fact, we probably talk about partnerships on other podcasts more than we talk about anything else. And I mean, people wonder this, right? Like, If I'm yeah. going to partner with somebody else, how do I figure this out so that it's going to work for the long term. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything we did was really unofficial. Again, we had like a really good relationship. And so our call went something like this. Courtney said, I really wouldn't want to leave my business for anything less than X. And I said, I really wasn't imagining giving away anything more than X. And we said, meet in the middle, meet in the middle. And that was uh, (laughs) essentially the negotiation process. Um, You know, I mean, I remember even like, being advised, you know, we have to get lawyers for each one of us and the lawyers will go toe to toe. And we were like, no, no, like we're not interested in that. This isn't, that's not the energy that we're bringing here. This isn't like a fight to see like we're, we're good. Um, And so it was just very unofficial negotiations. Obviously, you know, we went 
you know, through um, lawyers to like get all the paperwork and stuff like that. But it was it was very um, easy and, and pain free in that way. Okay, and your role as a visionary is always interesting to me because this is something that Rob and I talk a lot about because we both lean into the visionary vibe frequently. And so, um, what I guess. How would you define a visionary in your business and what are you doing on a weekly basis to really make sure that you're leaning into that role? Yeah. And I do think it's interesting to your point, like it has come up more and more lately that while I never occupy the integrator role, if we're talking about, you know, EOS, Courtney does sometimes occupy the the visionary role at times. But to me, um, I feel like I am like the vibe holder of the, of the agency of the business. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm holding the, the energy of the entire company. I am the one, you know, keeping an eye out for new trends, new ideas, coming up with random things like how can we have, you know, every other Friday off for some members of the team. And then of course, Courtney is the one that's like, here's the exact structure for how we'll do it. So it's like really amazing. Um, but more, more than like the visionary role, I think like my, probably my number one role is, is almost more like a CMO. Honestly, we don't, we don't have one of those currently. Um, I spend the majority of my time on marketing and sales tasks. Um, every, I take sales calls Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. I have like certain blocks. Um, but like just this week alone on each of those days, I have like four to five sales calls. And so I'm on Zoom a lot talking to people. I am creating content. I'm sending out emails. I am running our ads. Um, you know, I'm on podcasts. I'm just like looking for opportunities to really be um, as visible as possible, bringing in, you know, getting in front of as many new people and then actually having the, the sales calls. I would say that that is my, my number one role above all else. All right. You sold me. I want to work for ad girls. Sorry. All right. All right, Rob, what are your initial thoughts on this conversation? All right. So I made a couple of notes of things that are worth touching on before we move any farther. I just want to note that if the abusive relationship discussion that we had, if that sounds familiar, if that's something that somebody's struggling with, we're going to link to a couple of resources in the show notes. So be sure to check that out because we want to make sure that those resources are out there for somebody who uh, might be struggling with that kind of a thing. Um, but having said that, uh, one thing that Jen mentioned that we kind of jumped over just a little bit was the, this idea that um, there's a difference between a a regular buyer or a buyer of say a product or you know, do it yourself, that kind of person who wants to work on their thing and a done for you buyer. And I, I think this is really significant because with Jen's agency where they're creating a, or they have a service that, that creates funnels and uh, campaigns for clients to bring in you know, clients for their business, whatever, that is a done-for-you buyer who needs a different level of service and a different kind of care than maybe a buyer that a lot of us are writing for. And so being aware of the problem that you're solving, where that client is in their business, the time that they have or they don't have to commit to a product like this, when you're talking to a done-for-you buyer, you, you're trying to make things easy. You can't put a lot of obstacles in place. Like Jen mentioned, you don't want them to have to download a lead magnet and then jump through a bunch of hoops in order to 
sell themselves on your website and buy something they're like you're trying to get them to a call where you can basically help them self-diagnose or help them realize that you're the solution for the problem and so you're you're trying to take work off their plate you're you know you're not trying to make them jump through hoops and so being very aware of those kinds of differences depending on who we're selling to i think is a really insightful um idea that we should pay more attention to and i'm glad she brought that up yeah and you know she talked about her mission of putting more money in the hands of women and i feel you know deeply connected to that mission as well and so i I love how she's built a business around a mission i think that's something that we don't always hear about when we're interviewing people on the show and even like later in the conversation we will talk about how that makes its way into her marketing Um, but we also talked about how much she accomplished and i think you could probably hear in the conversation when i when i was like whoa you're running a legit agency and i probably didn't it didn't come out the right way but i think so often we talk about agencies and we're talking more about agencies kind of like the one i ran with copywriting more of like a micro agency which is also a great model you can keep it lean you can keep it agile um but then hearing jen talk about her agency you know she's talking about a team of 16 full-time employees, um, different layers and departments. And so I was just so impressed um, with how quickly she grew that type of company. And less than 10 years, she was able to build out this company um, that's doing really well revenue-wise and also, again, is serving this big mission and is employing 15 to 16 people, probably more by now. And so I think my biggest takeaway from this part of the conversation was it's incredible how much we can do, how quickly we can build, how much we can build um, in less than 10 years if we are focused and motivated and just kind of like doing the work day in and day out. I think that's really motivating to me to know what is possible in a relatively short period of time. Yeah. While we're talking about team, you know, we talked about how she hires, how she looks for somebody who's a good fit for the team and the mission that they have. And you and I have been thinking about this quite a bit. We've had conversations with people that we respect about building teams. And I think there's this, this myth out there. It's kind of a myth. It's, you know, sometimes it's true, but this idea that when you meet a great person, it doesn't really matter what they do. You should hire them and find the right role for them. And, you know, as a business owner, and as we meet with and talk with other business owners, yeah, it's good to have really smart people who know how to figure things out on your team, but also they have to fit into specific roles. And, you know, the, the Jen is so um, committed to making sure that because they serve mostly female owned businesses, having copywriters who are all women is a really good move for them because they can relate to those clients better than most male copywriters would be able to do. And so knowing that, yeah, it's again, good to have smart people who fit the culture, but they also have to fit the skill set. You can't hire somebody who doesn't do sales into a sales job. Or you can't hire somebody into a, a copywriting job who doesn't know how to write. Or, you know, if you're looking for somebody to manage a team, it helps if they're a people person and they've got, you know, systems background. So you want this really good combination of capable, smart, able to figure things out, but also the ability to fit into the slots that you need for your business to grow. Yeah. And that's why hiring is so tricky because it is a delicate balance of the right personality to match the company culture, um, 
the right attitude, the right work ethic, also the skill set. And so it's just so many factors involved, which is why it's so tricky and, and came up so frequently in this conversation. It did you know, stand out to me that Jen um, talked about the importance of hiring salespeople. And it sounds like a lot of her growth has stemmed from hiring salespeople and getting the right salespeople in place and doing it on their own versus relying on a, a hiring agency. And it, it made me think of a recent interview with Kristen Lajeunesse about how she brought in a sales partner and um, a salesperson to support her and her growth. And so it just is such a great reminder to me that, you know, we don't think of ourselves necessarily when we're freelancing as building this business where we need salespeople on the team, but maybe we should start thinking more that way. Like what would, what could my business look like if I had a really strong salesperson on my team, even if they're contract based and even if they're part time or as I scale, you know, maybe when you get to the point where like our size for TCC could we benefit from having a sales team? And I hadn't really thought about it until, until recently, but how, how much could that benefit our team to have some dedicated salespeople? And I think it, that works at every stage as Kristen proved in episode 308, I believe, when she talked about how that dramatically changed her business. So as copywriters, I feel like we should think more about partnering or hiring salespeople to support us as we're growing. And clearly that works for Jen. I mean, her business partner had a much more profitable business because she was so good at systems and process and serving her clients, where as Jen had built a much bigger agency, but less profitable because she was so good at outreach and sales and bringing clients in and the partnership together, being able to focus on the things that they do best, that visionary plus integrator idea that so many people talk about and we talk about it. Uh, it, It's just critical for creating businesses that really work at their maximum potential. And again, I really admire what Jen has built with the ad girls because uh, she and her partner have done that so well. Yeah. And speaking of partnerships, we touched on that a little bit. You and I have talked about our partnership a good amount. I think that what I took away from this is just how how her partnership sounds similar to our partnership in some ways. Like it sounds like it started pretty easily and it sounds like it's, you know, it's pain-free and like just kind of happened naturally. And yes, you know, they brought in lawyers and set up contracts, but that came after, like there was the initial trust there from the beginning and then everything else came after that. And I feel like that's how it, it felt, at least for me with our partnership. And then when I even think about like, romantic partnerships too. Like I feel like that's, you know, it's easy, it's pain-free, like it just happens naturally. So um, we do talk to copywriters who are interested in, in partnering here and there. And so I think that's something to pay attention to when you, and it doesn't even have to be like a business partnership. It could just be promotional partners or, you know, partnering on visibility and so many different types of partnerships um, with that we can do in our business and just paying attention to like which relationships feel relatively easy and pain-free and just there's like that connection that doesn't you don't feel like you have to work that hard at it because I think there's so much room for different types of partnerships as we grow in our business. Yeah, and then just keeping in mind, you know, when you have a partner, what you bring to the table and what they bring to the table. And you know, visionaries are good at strategy and obviously vision, figuring out where you need to go, some of the things that you might need to do, even connecting with potential clients or opportunities. 
but may not be as good at getting things done, systems, processes, and you know, like Jen, her partner, um, being able to um, make up for the weaknesses of the, the other partner, uh, bringing your strengths to that partnership so that both of you can excel at the things you do best is uh, really the secret to making a business like that work. You're talking about me, aren't you? <laughs> I'm not talking about Well, I'm talking about you in that you're visionary and uh, you know where we need to go and uh, <laughs> how, how, how we should move forward. So. I just have a hard time getting there. But that's where, yes, you come in and you help us get there. Let's go back to the interview with Jen and listen to how she actually structures the marketing funnel in her business. Enough teasing. Let's talk about this, this amazing funnel and how you use it to generate clients, bring that steady lead flow in, because this is one thing that so many copywriters struggle with. How do you do it? What are you doing? Okay. So we talked a little bit before. I think that there are like two important premises here before I give you the structure of the funnel, because the funnel itself is so simple that I call it stupid simple. Like it's dumb sometimes that it works so well, but it's not actually the pieces of the funnel that make it work. It's again, these premises, right? So number one, done for you buyers behave differently. People who just want somebody to run their ads, want somebody to just write their copy. They don't want to sit through an hour long webinar on how to write copy because they're not interested in learning. So that traditional funnel actually just doesn't apply. And then the other part of it is when we are as service providers marketing ourselves, I think we are taught to do two things. Number one, talk about your talk about the user's pain points. That's like almost like marketing copywriting 101, right? And the other thing is to lean into case studies and in the advertising industry, the amazing ROI that you've gotten. But here's the thing, when your ads solely focus on those two things, your ads end up looking like every other copywriter. Your ads end up looking like every other advertising agency. So what I sort of started to develop over time is that we've got to find other ways to actually stand out. And I mean, this is maybe like a little bit corny, but what what else could be the thing that is so unique about me other than me, right? It's literally like who I am as a human being. And so incorporating more of that into the storytelling, incorporating more of that into the copy so that we're able to, again, break all of these rules instead of going through the funnel and the long nurture. And we have to you know, do all of this relationship building. We can actually do relationship building on steroids really, really quickly and really, really effectively, actively deter all of the wrong people who are just not your people, bring in those who are only the right people and have them kind of like fall in love with you before they even get on the phone with you. So that by the time they show up on that sales call, they're no longer deciding advertising agency A or advertising agency B, they have picked Jennifer. They have picked you as the copywriter already because of the way that we've been able to do messaging. So I think like those are sort of the two biggest uh, premises of why all of this works. Now to get into just like the, the details of the structure, all I'm doing is running ads that, um, and I'll actually, let me take a step back. The specific way that I do, because there's so many pieces here, the specific way that I do approach messaging in this funnel actually comes down to four different, what I call messaging buckets. So number one is credibility. 
And that is the case studies, the ROI, the results. I'm not saying let's get rid of that entirely, right? Like we do want people to know that we know what we're doing, but that alone isn't enough. And inside of the four messaging buckets, it's actually just 25%. So there's the credibility bucket. And what that bucket is supposed to do is basically create the experience for your audience of I can trust you. Now we've got another bucket, which is vulnerability. And that's supposed to create the experience of I can relate to you and I see you as a person. And so, for example, with me, I talk about my experience of being in an abusive relationship. Right. And so that builds uh, this intimacy almost very quickly. And so that's that vulnerability bucket. Then the third one is personality and personality is supposed to create the experience of I like you or I don't, which is the point, And that's perfectly fine. And so for me, I might talk about how um, my ha- I'm like in a pool all the time. Like I'm just like a straight up pool girl. I'm a cat lady. Um, you know, I really like first class travel, right? So all of these things are not really about my business, but they're just who I am so that people really feel like that they want to like be my bestie essentially. And then the last bucket is feel good. And that is supposed to create the experience that on top of all the other things, I can actually feel good about spending my money with you because it furthers something in the world that I care about. And so again, for us, that's, we have this partnership with that organization called Free From that I mentioned earlier, and we did it in a percentage of all of our revenue there. And so when you can hit on all four of those points, you know, there's like a trifecta, I call it the quadfecta because it's four. When you can hit on all four of those, you're able to do relationship building on autopilot, relationship building on steroids. And when you can do that in your ads and your landing page, by the time people get to that call with you, they're like totally taken, they're totally in love. And it's part of why we can break the rules without having a really long nurture process or a lot of um, value and education on the front end. That'll make sense. Yeah. So I would want to work with you because I'm also a pool person. Rob would not want to work with you. Yay! I'm, not, I'm not really a pool person. That's true. You know, I saw um, an Instagram reel the other day that said pools are just oceans that aren't trying to kill you. See, I, I am an ocean person. So maybe I have a thing for <laughs> that near death experience. I don't know. Um, okay. So I'm a copywriter listening. I'm like, these concepts all ring true to me. I understand messaging. I understand how this connection works. I love how you broke it down into these four buckets. I don't have a huge ad budget. Like I don't have a big team. How can I use this to book clients? How can I actually apply this in my business? So when I first started running this funnel, oh, I want to say maybe I was spending like a thousand dollars a month and it's never been, even today, I rarely spend more than like maybe five to seven K a month because at the end of the day, I'm one person. I'm not looking to drive like 500 calls a month. That's just not the business model that I have. And I think this is a really important point. Um, the actual like media buying, the running ads part of this funnel is so different from anything else you know about running ads. It's again, stupid, simple. I almost never update it. I don't follow any of the normal best practices. I basically just let it run. I mean, the fact of the matter is I've been using this funnel. Um, let's see, maybe about two, a little, little over two years at this point. So like really strong historical data. We've gone through the iOS 14 updates, all of the changes, and it still performs with, with very little management. Um, I think the total, I probably spent maybe 
150K, maybe somewhere between 150 and 200K total, and it's easily brought in over $2 million. And so it's not something that you have to spend a crazy amount on. Um, it can be super, super simple in terms of just having like one or two ads. Again, really leaning into those messaging buckets. Um, the second part of this whole system that needs to be in place is a you know really thorough um, really thorough landing page that again continues to reiterate all of those messaging buckets. Then there's the booking page where you have something like Calendly or Acuity or Schedule Once or whatever where people can go ahead and directly book. Um, and then after people book, this is actually something that's really important as well. I think everybody kind of forgets about the space between when the booking occurs and when the call actually happens. We just have the automatic reminders that are like super boring, but I actually have a nurture sequence that runs between that space, which continues to reiterate those messaging buckets so that people show up to the sales call and they say things like, I feel like I already know you. Or like they're they're like ready to go. They're so pre-qualified. They understand the details. They know who I am. They want to like hang out and chit chat. And so sometimes people are like, well, what's your process for actually closing sales? And I'm like, mm, there isn't really one, right? Like there's so much, there's so much um, relationship building that happens before they get on that like it's rare for people to actually show up and not essentially be ready to close. So it can really be something that um, you don't need to spend a lot of money on, you don't need to spend a lot of time on. And I mean, even if you were to like, let's just say on average, maybe you're spending $250 per qualified booked call. And I would say like, I know right now I was looking at my ads right before this call, my average for this month is 180. So 250 would be like conservative and reasonable. And let's just say you have a 33% close rate. So every time you spend 750, you get three calls, you close one of them. If your business has the right packages and offers that you're able to be profitable on top of that, you could just spend $750 a month and get one new client a month and have that be something that's profitable until you then get into a flow. And this is the really cool part, right? Yes, there's the profitability. That part's awesome. But what's even cooler to me is like having the cheat codes to knowing how to grow on your own terms. Because if you as a copywriter get to a place in which you have statistical significance to every time I spend $750, I will close a client you get to map out the rest of your year. You get to plan when you need to hire. You get to turn things off when you're too full. Like it really is the difference between kind of like a spray and pray strategy and just, you know, hoping if I show up on social and go in the right places, it'll turn into something versus when I do this, this happens. And again, it takes a little bit of time to get into that level of certainty, but I have over two years of data and my number happens to be around $800 and we're selling $20,000 contracts. So it definitely is something that that works all day long. Okay, I'm going to try to sneak in a couple of short questions here. Okay. Um, so first, do you run the same funnel for your clients or is it a different setup for every client? For every client that is not a done-for-you business, totally different. But for our clients who are done for you, whether that's copywriters, PR agencies, podcast booking companies, other advertising agencies, this is the structure. Again, anything that's done for you that we run for all of them. Okay. Second quick question. I, at least I, in looking at Facebook, I noticed you're not running the ads from the agency. They're running, you're running them from your personal page. Is that intentional? And, and like, this is actually probably a longer question. So, so yeah, talk about that thinking because this strikes me as something that might be worth testing for a lot of other people too, a corporate um, ad account versus a personal one. 
I mean, look, at the end of the day, I'm building the relationship with me as the person, I think plain and simple. And then also from just being honest, um, I just started running there and it just like didn't make sense to switch and I got lazy. Um, I like to kind of look for the easy, lazy way to do things when it comes to to marketing. And, you know, if it's not broke, I'm not going to try and fix it kind of. Okay. That makes sense. Then I guess the last part of that is um, you, you talk generally about the, the buckets that you're using, but could you give us an example or two of like specific headline copy that you're using to attract somebody within one of those uh, particular ads? Yeah, I, I don't know if I can like think of specific copy off the top of my head. I think that like the way that I incorporate it is I write the thing that I want to write like whatever the ad is talking about, you know, what it is that we do. And then I go back and I see where can I sort of incorporate these in? So how can I mention that I've been featured in Forbes and that we've generated $50 million for clients and our most recent case study? And then how can I go in and mention we also donate to this cause and our mission is putting more money in the hands of more women. And so it's not so much that like, this ad is the credibility ad. And this ad is the vulnerability ad. It's, you know, I do like regular ad copy, but I know, and this is for more than just the ads, right? And this is for our website. This is for our emails. I know that when I hit on those four things, people feel a connection to me and they feel a connection to the ad girls. And so it's just always going back at whatever I've written and then looking at how I can incorporate these key points. Okay. So again, like I'm a copywriter listening. It all sounds good. Am I... Like, do I need to hire a Facebook ad manager? Are you suggesting that I just do this on my own and kind of pull the copy in? What do you recommend to the copywriter who's listening, who doesn't have an expertise in this area and maybe doesn't even want to have that expertise, don't have capacity? Yeah. I mean, look, I think that there are ultimately two options. You can, of course, hire an agency, the ad girls or any other agency. Um, Although I will say that this approach in the system is is not a thing that many others are using. I would say that most other advertisers have not figured out how to advertise done for you services in this way. Um, But I also have a program, a a done um, a DIY program that basically teaches this entire system. And as I mentioned, even though it is a Facebook ads funnel, I would say the Facebook ads piece is the smallest piece. Like it's, it's if you can follow my video on the screen and click buttons in the way that I tell you to, congratulations, you've done Facebook ads in terms of the way that you need to for this funnel. So um, that program that I have, it's called Million Dollar Agency is another option. If you you know want to kind of get it set up on your own, but don't want to be completely um, you know, trying to figure out all the things, especially with the Facebook ads piece. Uh, total, yeah, totally makes sense. Okay. I had a question. I'm totally blanking now. This is, okay, I have a bunch of questions. Yeah, so Kara, <laughs> I asked three questions. Let me let me find my question again and Kara, you jump I'm in. I'm just going to take over, Rob. I've got lots of questions. Um, you said easy, lazy marketing. And so you had me at easy and lazy. Mm-hmm. I'm all yeah. for it. What else? I mean, this method, right? Like you could say this is, I, I wouldn't say it's lazy, but it's easier what else are you doing right now as a marketing lead on your, in your company that feels kind of easy and lazy that I could swipe and, you know, we could pull into our company. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like anybody who's listening, go look at my social media feed and chuckle with me because I just like, I never update it. It's actually bad. I would like to be a little bit better than I am at it if I'm being honest, but um, I love, you know, I just got back from two straight weeks of travel. I was in the British Virgin Islands, um, then I was in Austin and Houston and I mean, I didn't have time to do anything. And I came home to two full packed weeks of sales calls, not because of anything else that I'm doing. It's because this funnel 
you know, I hate to be a broken record, but it's like, this is where 80 plus percent of our sales calls come from. The rest is still word of mouth and referrals, which is obviously always a great thing to happen to have. But, um, you know, I, I do some email content here and there. I'm not consistent with it at all. It really is this, this funnel. And it's, it's one ad that has been running. I've done a little bit of testing over the years. Every once in a while, I feel like it gets fatigued and I'll try something different, but it's actually the same ad that I first launched two and a half years ago. That is still like this month alone, you know, it's generated like 20 sales calls at $180 per call um, without me really needing to do much of anything. Okay. So as, as I'm thinking about the buckets that, that you use and the target market that you have, if you were targeting men or maybe a combination of men and women, how would those buckets change or would they change? You're talking about like for me specifically? Yeah. For you specifically. So, I mean, yeah. like for instance, uh, vulnerability or, you know, maybe some of the things that you talk about personally might not appeal to uh, a male dominated audience, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, again, I think that like the specific buckets that I listed are not only like my truth and my story, but they do obviously work given the business that I have and the the target market that we go after. And so I think for each individual person, um, that's going to look totally different depending on their business and, and who they market to. So when I hear you speaking, you're such a, you know, like I know this term is overused and tired, but you're such a boss and like CEO, right? And I think so many small business owners, so many freelancers really do want to hit that level where they feel like I'm, I am a CMO, I'm a CEO, like I am running this and I'm the visionary. And so um, I guess the question in here is like, what do you think that you, what are a couple switches or changes you made over the years to really fully embody this new role in your business, if you can identify a couple different ones? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously just hiring and delegating, which is maybe an overused answer, but there was a period of time where I played a game with basically everything that came up in my day, like in my to-do list of like, could this be somebody else's job? Because the, like, it was, it was hard Like, I felt like I was like, I'm good at like a lot of stuff. Like I should just keep doing it. And like, how could this not be my role? And now it's so funny because there's like so few things that I do today, but it was, it was again, just a process of like really clearly identifying anything, even if it felt like it was like a one second task, anything that I was responsible for that could be somebody else's job. Not that I wanted to be, or that should be, but could it be? And sort of just sort of making the list and beginning to hire out in that way. And then another part of it, there was like, almost like a like existential crisis type thing that occurred. I want to say maybe like 2019 and 2020, where for a while when you're a freelancer, like you are the business, there is no separation, like you and the business are one. And then all of a sudden the business is this entity outside of you. And like, that was just a weird thing to wrap my mind around for a little bit and just figure out how to be with that. And then like, what is my value? And like, what is my responsibility? And do I make decisions on behalf of the business or on behalf of me? And so I don't know that I have like so much of like advice there other than that was just a part of the process to, to go through. Um, And, you know, now obviously it very clearly feels like the business is this, this, this entity, this thing that exists outside of me, but a couple of years ago, it didn't. So as you made that shift, entrepreneur to CEO, were there books, resources that you leaned on to help you make that mindset shift? Or did you just feel through the whole thing? 
I mean, I think I just felt through a lot of it. Um, I am like completely and totally addicted to personal and spiritual development work. I've been doing it, you know, for the last decade plus, and I've spent God knows how much money on it. And so I can't think of like anything specific, but obviously like as, as a CEO, as a visionary, as I think anybody in business or really anybody on the planet, honestly, it's just really good to have that type of support in your life. So you can have deeper intimacy and understanding with your own self, which then of course allows you to be able to show up in the ways that you need to show up for yourself, for your, your family, your team, your business. And I get, it sounds like, you know, you've, you've done, you've grown so much, you are doing well and so well in your business. What is a struggle for you today? Like what is still maybe a new struggle um, Mm. obstacle today? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, having the right team is, is not a struggle, but it's an ongoing process, right? Like really just figuring out how to make sure that the team can truly deliver on what it is that I'm selling is, is a process that I think will kind of just always be inside of to continue to level up. And then it's interesting, obviously, given everything that we've spoken about today, but my next goal is actually to get out of sales calls. That's going to obviously have to be an interesting process, but um, I, I'm interested to see what my life looks like, even though, right, it's that same question. I am good at it. I am good at marketing. I am good at sales, but could this be somebody else's job? And what does my life look like? And what does the business look like if I can actually really just have a ton of spaciousness and just sit in the visionary role? And so, you know, fingers crossed, maybe like in the next six months, it might be something that, um, that we start to explore. So in addition to that potential change, as you, you know, envision the future as a visionary, what does that look like for you personally and for the ad girls? Yeah. So um, I actually like what I've been become really interested in lately is um, kind of just like working on, on new projects. I mean, here's the truth at the end of the day, even agencies with like amazing profit margins for an agency, it's still an agency. The 50% profit margins that Courtney was able to achieve at that size, no, that is not a thing that is occurring at in, in our current team. And I think it's really hard. Again, you're balancing how do we deliver the best service possible? We also obviously want to be really profitable. And so I've just gotten to a point in my journey where I want to get the agency to a place where it is really stable and almost like semi-passive, like I'm obviously going to still work in it. I'm still going to be the CEO, but it isn't something that like I have, like, like we were just saying a full, you know, week of sales calls. And it's actually going to create some spaciousness for me to build another business, work on another project and be able to get it to the place that the agency is in, in one year or two years, like we spoke about before, instead of eight and kind of just like begin to build my empire that way. But I would choose different business models, different offerings um, that I think have more room for, for higher profit and higher cash flow, And um, yeah, really just build an empire from there. That's kind of my plan. Yeah. I mean, I know this is putting you on the spot, but like what specifically are you going to do? Okay. So there's like a few options. (laughs) Um, An e-commerce company has always been something I've wanted to do because I think the number one skill you need to grow it is pay traffic and like, hello, you know, I have that. Um, definitely always interested in like, you know, courses or growing the, the program that I have the million dollar agency program, something that Courtney and I have discussed 
is creating almost like a bit of an incubator for female agency owners, because between the two of us, we've really mastered the sales and marketing part as well as the operations part. And so, I mean, what would it look like if, you know, we had like an incubator and we, you know, own 10% of 10 different female owned agencies and can help them grow. And so, so many things, not, not one clear plan yet, but those are just some of the places I've been kind of daydreaming. So you mentioned a couple of times that if you were going to do it again, you could short circuit the process, you know, remove some years. What would you do differently starting over from today, build the same thing? What is the stuff that you would cut out? Um, I would, I think, look, the number one thing is understanding that the time, the timeline that you think it's supposed to be is made up. It's all BS and it can be whatever pace you want. Um, and again, I think we spoke about this earlier, I would immediately bring on an HR person so that we could become good at hiring and getting the right team in place right off the bat. And I would get a really good Facebook funnel or some sort of pay traffic and funnel funnel in place as quickly as possible and just go all in. Yeah, that's great advice. And to circle back to your mission, um, I, I guess I'm looking for more of an update, like a report from you on where you see um, the biggest opportunity for women. So if we're talking about giving more women uh, financial freedom um, to get them out of really difficult situations, life-threatening situations, like what are, what do you see that's been uplifting, hopefully uplifting, or maybe not as uplifting today It's more of like a state of the union on what's happening there. And then where do you see the biggest opportunity for women today? I think the biggest opportunity is business. I mean, like maybe it seems like a duh, but I, you know, I went from like living in, you know, this experience that I describe as like hell where I had no control over my own life, no autonomy. And like, I, my life now looks like whatever I want it to like business. Isn't just like a vehicle for, for making money. It's, it's a vehicle for being in control and in charge and having autonomy over your entire life. And, you know, different people are, you know, have access to different things that maybe make that easier said than done. And I really do understand that. But at the end of the day, I do think that um, finding some way to monetize something that you do is, is the absolute biggest opportunity going back to free from, which is that organization that we partner with. I'm not sure that this program is still active, but they used to have a program in which they would work with survivors. So people who are already out, but struggling to actually become financially independent and they would help them start their own business. And I used to get these letters, these updates of, cause we, we donated now probably around 50 grand over the last couple of years to this organization. So we get like the monthly updates and I would just bawl like a baby <laughs> over every single one because it would say something like, you know, so-and-so was able to start a business sewing. And, you know, the quote from her is like, I'm going to start crying. Nobody ever told me that I was good at anything. Nobody ever told me that anything that I knew how to do was something that somebody would pay for. And so it's just like, that's, that's what gets to get created for, for women when, you know, they're given the opportunities and, and they see their own ability to create their own life. That's amazing. Okay. Jennifer, let's say people have been listening to you talk about what you've done, this just amazing mission that you have, the the business that you've built, and they want to connect with you, find out more about you. Maybe check out Million Dollar Agency if that's the right fit for them or, you know, some of the other things that you're doing. What should they do? Where should they go? 
Yes. So definitely connect with me on Facebook or Instagram. I am Jen Spivak on both of those platforms, Jen with two N's. If you want to learn about the ad girls, that's over at the ad the adgirls.com. And then lastly, the million dollar agency program is at jenniferspeedack.com slash million dash dollar dash agency. So dash in between each word. I always realize when I'm on podcast that that was a terrible URL to pick and that I should get rid of the yeah. Here we are. Here we are once again. <laughs> jenniferspeedback.com slash million dash dollar dash agency. And I've actually created a 25% off coupon code for copywriter club listeners. That code is, I believe, Copywriter Club. Um, so yeah, you guys, you guys can head over there and get 25% off if you do want to um, join me inside of that program. And that's a pretty significant discount. It's like almost $500 off. So <laughs> so yeah, thank you. That's a generous offer. Yeah. And if, yeah, if somebody's at the stage where, you know, they're ready to really, um, you know, start growing an agency, very worthwhile checking out. Absolutely. All right, Jennifer, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and um, letting us go in many different directions, talking about how you've built this incredible agency. It's something, you know, I've taken a lot away from this conversation that we can do in our business. So thank you so much. We appreciate it. Lots of funnel ideas to, to check out and try. So thanks, Jennifer. That's the end of our interview with Jen Spivak. But before we go, we want to touch on a couple different ideas. So one is her method to approaching uh, messaging in her ads, which is great because we can pull in this approach to, to all of our messaging, right? In email sequences, of course, Facebook ads, uh, sales pages, all the, all the places. And so uh, we can touch on a couple of the buckets. Rob, I'll touch on the first two. Uh, one being credibility. So uh, this is something we know as copywriters, right? We do this for our clients, but how important it is to do it in our own marketing, even when it feels awkward because it feels like we're bragging, but it's sending the message, you know, that our customers can really trust us. And so that's an important bucket. And that one, again, is kind of obvious to us as copywriters. The ones that get a little bit more interesting to me, you know, the second one around vulnerability. I like this bucket because it does work. Um, but it also can go horribly wrong. And so there is there is an art to uh, adding vulnerability in your own messaging. And clearly Jen has done it and it's worked really well for her. I can think of many examples where it has not worked well for people. So I think as copywriters, because we understand messaging, we can really nail this and use it as an opportunity to create that connection and create that intimacy with, with our reader so they they know us and like us and trust us. Yeah. If your if your vulnerability is you showing up as a hot mess, that often undercuts the credibility that you're trying to, to bring to the table. And so we do have to be uh, careful. It is good to you know share some mistakes or share some of the things that go wrong. But um, again, we need to build trust too. And there is a line and we've seen people cross it in uh, the copywriting world and the marketing world. Um, it's worth uh, thinking very seriously about you know, how vulnerable it can be. Um, you know, I, I checked out Jen's, I went to her Facebook page to look at the ads that she was running as we were talking with her because just just running these from a personal account versus a, a corporate ad account, I think is really unique in that it helps Jen connect on a one-to-one basis. And we talked a little bit about that in the interview, but when we talk about the buckets, you know, personality and having the people that you're reaching out to connect with you on that personal level, if that's coming from a corporate account, 
instead of a personal account, that changes the the math there. And you don't feel the same personality or some of the feel good posts and ads that she creates so that she's creating not just the credibility, but just the idea that, oh, I know I can, I can trust uh, that you're going to bring to the table what you say. I feel good about spending money with you. Um, that, that creates those relationships. Again, coming from a personal account on Facebook versus a corporate account makes uh, makes a huge difference and you know as i saw that she was doing that it just kind of clicked for me you know, maybe we should be running some of our ads from you know our personal accounts and not necessarily from a, a copywriting uh, copy, the copywriter club account um and that you know may be true of places you know outside of the facebook instagram world as well yeah, we probably should be. And you know, just to go back to the vulnerability, I think it's there's so many opportunities to show up and to be vulnerable. I think we often think of like, oh, it means I have to talk about my weaknesses or talk about the hardest thing that's happening to me right now, but it it can be that. But I, you know, I think Rob, you've tackled copy that feels vulnerable. I don't think you do it as frequently, but you've definitely shared some really personal um you know, some personal stories about losses in your family and really opened up. And so, you know, if Rob can do it and get vulnerable, like we, we all have an opportunity to be vulnerable here. I tend to share a lot more about like my kids. And even though you wouldn't think of that as being vulnerable and like sharing this really hard story necessarily, it's anytime you share something that is, you know, really close to your heart, it, it, it is being vulnerable. And so, um, I think there's an opportunity if you don't feel like that's something that you've accessed in your copy and messaging that you can make it your own and do it in a way that feels natural to you. And of course, like the personality piece, I feel like as copywriters, we kind of do that frequently and share bits and pieces of our personality. I liked her example of talking about being a pool person. It seems like such a minor, you know, detail about her life, but it's amazing how people will connect with that, right? Like I connected with that immediately, even though you're not a pool person, you still found a connection to her around uh, joking about not being a pool person. And so um, the feel good piece around the mission in that bucket, I feel like that's so important. And that's a big opportunity for us as copywriters to help our clients figure out, you know, even if they aren't necessarily donating to a particular mission, you know, what do they really care about and support what mission is important to them? And that might be an opportunity even for us with the Copywriter Club to lean more into that bucket. I think that's one that we haven't focused on as much. And when I was listening back to the conversation about being a cool person, it sounded like you said, Rob's not a cool person. And I'm like, well, that's true, too. I did too. say that. So, I did say so, that. <laughs> I'm glad that you caught that. It, um, Never. You know, it, the other thing about her ads, too, that, that caught my attention is that, she, again, like we said earlier on in the interview, she's not getting people to a lead magnet. She's not sending them to her website to get to know her. She's not directing them to podcasts to listen. She's basically trying to book a call. She's trying to get to them as quickly as possible. And she understands exactly who she's talking to. She knows that they're busy. She knows that she can solve their problem. And because she's creating that personal relationship with the four buckets that Jen talked about, she's able to speed up the sales process quite a bit. And so, um, again, I just think that she's doing a lot of things that a lot of copywriters could also be doing with their clients. Yeah. And even if you're not quite ready to set up a funnel on your own, and if you're not ready to hire her Jen's team, which, you know, that that's okay. You might not be there yet. This might be next level, next step for you. But just taking away the idea around sending a couple of emails prior to a sales call 
to your prospect. It doesn't even have to be automatic, right? She has automatic reminders and emails leading up to the sales call. And those emails touch again on those buckets, vulnerability, you know, credibility, personality, feel good. We all can do that. There's no reason that we can't do that, whether it's automated or not, up, leading up to a sales call so that when our prospect shows up to a sales call, they are ready to go. And that's something that I wish I would have heard and <laughs> done a long time ago because it's so smart and it's so easy for us to do that as copywriters. We can bust out those emails, you know, really fast. You asked Jen about being a boss, uh, which was uh, kind of funny. But as I was listening to her talk or answer that question, you know, it occurred to me there are a lot of copywriters who might be listening and thinking, well, you know, I'm not a seven-figure business owner. I don't have a team. I'm not doing this kind of stuff. And so that part of the conversation maybe doesn't apply to me. And as I was thinking that through, really what Jen is talking about is just being more strategic about your business. Taking a step back from serving clients, from doing the copy, and starting to think as a business owner. What is the next step for the business? What you know, clients should I be working with next year or what kinds of products services should i be offering in the future that bring in more money help me have more time better serve my clients help create more value for them she's thinking strategically on a level that's maybe three or four steps ahead but all of us can be thinking about the next step and that's some of the stuff that we you know, talk about in the accelerator and in the think tank but something that all copywriters should be doing more of yeah, and I don't use the word boss ever. Except in I, this interview. I couldn't not say it. Like I was just like, that's what she is. She's just a boss. I don't know what else to call her. And I mean that in the best way possible. Um, she, I just love the way she thinks strategically about growth. I love how she operates. And so, um, you know, and, and when she did talk about what's made her a boss, a big part of it is that idea around playing a game. You know, could I – delegate this or could I hire someone else to do this? Um, playing that game, like to me, it was almost, I don't know. I felt like I felt, <laughs> I don't, it kind of hit me the wrong way because I need to do that. And hearing her talk about it, I was like, oh, like I definitely need to do that. But I have not done that recently. I mean, I've done bits and pieces of it, but that I think, you know, a lot of copywriters listening could do that and run through that exercise of what could I delegate? What could I get off my plate? I don't need to do everything, um, even though that's how we naturally operate. Yeah, the last thing that I want to just touch on that Jen talked about was this idea that the timeline is made up, that you can go as fast or as slow as you want. And we've seen members of the groups that we coach talk about how sometimes they feel behind everybody else, or you know they they uh, are showing up late, or you know they're because they weren't the first to do something that they're behind and uh, I, obviously that's head trash there's a lot of mindset stuff that goes into that but we're all on a different timeline and we can do things on the timeline that works best for us but one thing that i noticed where a lot when we ask these kinds of questions of the people we interview you know what would you do differently or what advice would you give you yourself if you could go back 10 years or so almost all of them say to do it faster you know, to step in, to believe in themselves, to you know, make the moves faster. And I think there's a really good lesson in that as well. Even though sometimes it feels like we're going as fast as we can, 
sometimes we also take a step back and let that imposter complex, you know, hold us back or, you know, give ourselves all of the reasons why something's not going to work or why we need to wait to do it later. It's just not worth listening to that voice. Let's get it done on the timeline that works best for us. Yeah, I definitely have caught myself saying, you know, I, that person like, oh, you're so far ahead of me. Um, you know, like half joking sometimes. I think it was Annie, I think it was Annie Beecher, um, one of our Think Tank alumni members who called me out on it one time because I was like, oh, you're like so far ahead of me, Annie. And she was just like, what are you talking about? There's, you know, we're not in a race. Um, there's no, there's no timeline here. And, um, she kind of like playfully respectfully called me out and it was just a really good moment of just like, yeah, what am I talking about? There is like, we are not ahead of each other. Doesn't matter. Even if someone's financially ahead, you have no idea what else is happening in their life and their business. And that is not how we measure progress. And so, yeah, I mean, that's something that I still struggle with, but, um, I love the message of growth can be at whatever pace you want. I have a question for you, Rob. You know, she talked, Jen talked uh, basically about recently kind of feeling a separation. This is not her words, but separating her identity from the business. And for a long time, she felt like she was the business. Um, and again, this is, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. And then more recently, she has felt like it's a separate entity. And it sounded like that separation has been kind of freeing for her to feel that separation. So I was just curious to hear from you, Rob, if if you feel like your identity is tied to you know the business, like this business or maybe previous businesses or how you create that separation. Yeah, that's a really good question because as I think about it, I'm not sure. I mean, in some ways, I definitely feel connected to the businesses that I've built or the business that we're building now. And there are other times when I can look at it as a, as a separate entity. So maybe I'm not as far along the path as what Jen is. Maybe I'm need to catch somewhere up. in the middle. And uh, yeah, I, I just need to uh, to make that jump. But I, I think that, that it's actually a really wise observation that she has. So many of us feel like our business is connected to our identity. And our businesses are what we do, but they are not who we are. And I think there's, there's maybe a whole podcast in that whole idea. Yeah. What would I be without my business? Who am I without my business? I think it's a good conversation to be had at some point. We want to thank Jen Spivak for joining us on the podcast today. If you want to connect with her, you can find her at theadgirls.com which we'll link to in the show notes. And we'll also link to the million dollar agency sales page that Jen mentioned. She offered the code to anybody who uh, is interested in that program. If you are building an agency and you want that kind of um, information, uh, it's not an an inexpensive program, but she's offered 25% off if you use the code copywriter club, all one word. And you just need to go to jenniferspivak.com forward slash million dash dollar dash agency. And you can find out more information there. If you want to listen to more episodes about funnels and attracting clients to your business, head over to episode 54 with Shanti Zach, where she talked about building quiz funnels. Episode 64 with Paige Soffer and episode 204 with Jen Robbins are all about the funnels that you need in your business as a copywriter. Those are all great episodes. You should check them all out. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. 
The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please give us a review. We really appreciate it if you do, and we will share it in a future episode. And if you have any interest in booking clients consistently with the P7 Client Attraction Pipeline, then definitely head to the show notes, click on the link, find out more information. We're going to start that very soon. So jump in with us and we'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better. Copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club.